If you have your Bibles, as I hope you do, go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, this is an exciting month. Uh, this month, we will be presenting the elder nominees uh, for 2018. And so we're going to talk about elders today. In fact, all throughout this month, we're going to be uh, kind of having a focus on elders and, and how do we think about elders. As, as many of you may know, this last year, uh, I was the only official elder uh, here, and that, of course, had some difficulties. We've had some elders in the past um, but just because, uh, but we needed time just to give them uh, a little bit of time off. And so what we did is this last year, we, we gave them some time off. Uh, many of you know, like Rich Benson, he served for like 15 years uh, without a break. And so uh, many, we just wanted to kind of let have a break as, as we took a year and prepared and, and looked at some ways that we're doing uh, eldership. And so now we are going to be bringing on uh, two new elders. We'll be presenting them next week. And, and so I'm excited for where we're at right now. And I'm excited for where we're moving. And so what I want us to do, though, today is think about how do we think about elders? Like, as we're going to be uh, considering these men, um, what is the criteria? Where do we find in God's Word an understanding of who these men are to be? How are they to act? What do they do? And so that's what we're going to do today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. To give a little bit of background, uh, so Paul and Silas, they go to Thessalonica, and they begin preaching the word of God, and a church is planted. We know when the word goes forth, there goes life, and so many people believe in the gospel, and a church is formed. You can actually go read about that in Acts chapter 17. It talks about how they came to Thessalonica, but shortly after they were there, uh, some Jews who were jealous of what was happening uh, roused up a crowd of angry, wicked people, and they began to attack the church, and they were threatening Paul, and so Paul had to leave very, very quickly. And so because Paul's departure was so quick, now these opponents who were against Paul, who were against the church, came to the church and said, you know why he left, don't you? Because he doesn't really like you. He doesn't really love you. He was like one of those traveling spiritual gurus. He was a charlatan. He was a trickster. He came with a message. He wanted your money and your women, and then he took off. You'll never see him again. And so that's what they begin to communicate to them. And so now Paul, he writes this letter to them, to this new fledgling church, hoping that through his letter he can instruct them and provide just the grace that they need to continue to stand firm in the faith, but also, as we get into chapter 2, he defends his character. Now, he doesn't defend his character because he's going, I just really want them to think highly of me. He's not worried about approval rating here. But he goes, okay, if they think that I'm a trickster, a charlatan, someone that came to deceive them, then they will believe that my message was also false, and therefore they will walk away from the faith that they have believed. And so he writes to them to defend his character, but ultimately so that they will know the gospel that was preached was true and authentic, and they will continue on in the faith. And so two things as we begin to look at this passage. Um, not everyone here is going to be an elder, um, but the character of an elder is what we are all to possess. 
So not everyone is going to officially have a title or a role within the church as an elder, but we're all to possess the character of an elder because ultimately when we read the descriptions of an elder, they could be applied to any Christian because ultimately what they are is a description of Christ Jesus. And so when we're looking at this, we're looking at people who are desiring to be made more and more like Jesus, which is why then they become elders, because then they're helping instruct the church to become more and more like elders. And so women, I also want to encourage you, do not think that this message is just a message for your husband, but it's a message also for you on, on how God is transforming you and making you more into his image. Um, as you know, we hold to a position here that, that women um, do not officially hold the role of elders here. And I'm not going to get into that today, but we preached a whole message on biblical womanhood last October-ish. And the title was Biblical Womanhood. And so you can go back into our archives online and you can find that sermon there. Uh, secondly, I want to ask uh, men that are here, I, I want to urge you to pray if God is leading you to become an elder. I want you to consider as we go through this text, just pray, the Spirit just work in my heart. Is this where you're taking me to be? Now we're all, again, to have the character of an elder, but God's going to move especially some that they would lead in, in, a, in a special way for the church. And so I want to ask you men to be prayerfully considering that because my joy is that not only are we going to be presenting two men this, uh, this month, but in the years to come, we're going to just see men coming forth in this church, standing before uh, you all, coming as elders, preaching the word, and hopefully we'll then be sending out some of these men to be planting other churches wherever that might be. Uh, so I want to go ahead and ask you to stand. We stand as we read God's word. We do so because it comes inspired by the very authority of God himself. And so we do so as a way to honor God and to remember uh, that this word is like no other. So we're going to read chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's a little bit long, so if you need to sit or kind of go up and down, that's okay. Chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray. Father, Father, I ask that now just through the power of your spirit that you would give us wisdom as we come into your word. 
God, you've inspired this word to be written and to be preached and taught and instructed to believers throughout the ages. And Lord, I ask for that wisdom today that as we hear your word, as we read your word, that your spirit would work in us and you would encourage us, you would correct us, and God, you would refine us, that you would make us more into your image. Lord, I pray that as we come into this word that our hearts would be filled with joy as we see what your Spirit is doing in each and every one of us. And Lord, I pray that we'd also become prayerful for the very men whom you are calling as elders to help lead in this church. Be with us now as we're in your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Uh, So the first thing that we're going to see Paul reminds the church of the godly life he lived with them. So I just want want to show you something. Uh, In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 5, you'll see this here. About halfway through, he says, you know what kind of men we prove to be for your sake. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Look at verse 2, halfway through. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel. Look at verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor were the pretext for greed. Look at verse 9. For you remember, brothers. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses, meaning you saw this, you know this. Look at verse 11. For you know how like a father was like a father with his children. So Paul's not telling them anything new. This chapter has nothing new in it to the Thessalonians. He's simply saying, you know exactly how we lived. You saw my life, and my life testifies of my love for the gospel and my love for you. I am not a trickster. I am not a charlatan. I'm not a traveling salesman. I came here authentically preaching the gospel of grace to you. One thing we see here is that our life testifies to what we believe in. And so Paul is directing the Thessalonians to look back at his life and saying, you know who we are because of our life. Our life testifies to what we believe in, to who we love, to what we love. I heard uh, Billy Graham, uh, the famous evangelist, before he would enter into hotel rooms, he would send a security person into the hotel rooms to make sure there was no stripper and no person with a camera in there because people were always trying to attack his character, always trying to see how they could discredit him. And so he took great strides to say, okay, how am I going to live? He wanted to make sure that he was always above reproach, so he took great strides to do that. And we know opponents of the gospel will always try to attack and distort the character of Christians. I mean, this is clear today. If you look at TV, they have no clue what a Christian is. Mormons are labeled Christians. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists are labeled Christians. Jehovah Witnesses are labeled Christians. Anyone that has um, a spiritual book in their hand, anyone that says that they're spiritual, are labeled as Christians. And there's no way you or I can respond to all the distorted views that are out there. But one thing that we can do is to live a life according to what we see in God's word, knowing that the testimony of our life will show the world, will show our friends, will show those who we work with the true gospel. This is what Peter says in his letter. He says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, notice what he says here. Having good conscience so that when, not if, but when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. He's like, you're going to be reviled, but live in a way so that there's nothing that sticks. Whatever they throw at you falls off of you because there's no truth to their claims. And so Paul turns to these people and says, okay, they're saying all these lies, but you know the truth. And so in this text, Paul is simply going to say what you already know. Nothing new is going to be given to these uh, Thessalonians. He's just simply reminding them of the gospel that he preached and the character that he lived. And so as we go through uh, these uh, four things, um, I've borrowed kind of these four headings uh, from a book uh, written by Timothy Whitmer, and he titled the book Shepherd Leader, and it's all about uh, really how, how elders are to live. And as I was going through this text, I, I just kept seeing these headings that he had, um, that he had written about as, tr- as they were true in his text. And so I've used them to kind of construct the outline of this message and so what we'll see is Paul is an apostle, but he has a very much of an elder-like role every time he comes to a church. He preaches to the church. He instructs the church. He walks with the church. Uh, and then he goes off to, to then go plant a new church. But when we look at the character of Paul, we're seeing the character of an elder. And so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, look at these headings under elders, and we'll show how it's true of Paul and then how it is to be true of us. So number one, the first thing we see is elders teach the church. Look at verse one. Paul says, we didn't come to you in vain, meaning we didn't come without a purpose. We didn't show up not knowing what we were going to do. Verse two, he says, but in the boldness of God, we came to you to declare the gospel of God. Elders love the gospel, and they love to teach the gospel. It's this teaching role that distinguishes them from deacons. If you look in like 1 Timothy chapter 3, you have a description of deacons, you have a description of elders. Very similar. Almost everything is about character. But the distinguishing role of an elder is that he teaches. Now, deacons can teach. In fact, we see in Acts, Stephen teaches amazingly. Um, but the requirement of an elder is that he is to teach the gospel in a formal way to the church. Notice at the end of verse 2, they declared the gospel in the midst of much conflict. So Paul has just left Philippi. Now, if you remember in Philippi, you can go read chapter 16, uh, where it just kind of describes all that happened, or in Acts chapter 16, what happened in Philippi. So Paul shows up to Philippi. Good things are happening. Uh, People are coming to know Christ. uh, But again, mobs are formed. They're attacked. Paul is arrested beaten and him and silas they're thrown into jail into stocks and that's that you know that famous chapter where then they begin praying the earthquake comes and they're all set free just that really cool chapter where that happens but what we see is that he preaches the gospel and then and then after that he goes straight to thessalonica so i want you to think about if conflict is water then in philippi paul was drowning I mean, he's attacked, he's thrown into jail, and then he, he's removed from jail, he's set free. And so imagine, he's drowning, and then, then he's brought up out of the water. This is what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, okay, guys, I'm just going to take some time to dry off now. I need to take a couple weeks. I need to maybe reevaluate my life. I want to dry out the clothes. I'm soggy. 
I need to kind of get this past experience away from me. I'm a little gun shy now, and I'm just not ready to go jump back in. That's not what we see at all. Rather, he, he moves straight on to Thessalonica to where, again, he will preach the gospel. What we see is that Paul loves the gospel because he knows the truth of, of Romans 1.16. And this is what Romans 1.16 says. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul knows that. He knows every time he opens up this word, the inspired word of God, every time that this word is open, we're beholding the glory of God, meaning we are seeing our God, our creator, the holy savior, uh, sustainer, and redeemer, and we're seeing him, we're beholding him, and we see that our Father sends Jesus Christ to this earth, that he would die on the cross, that everyone who believes in him, Jew or Gentile, no matter what the past is, everyone who believes would be forgiven, adopted, redeemed into the family of God. And so he's passionate about this gospel. And he knows if I go preach this gospel, there will be opposition, but there will be life also. Because there is always life that comes from the word of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing. But what do we have to hear? Hearing from the word of God. So every time we open this book, if you're a Christian, we're growing in our faith. And every time this, we're, we're, we're saying this book, we're, we're preaching this book, we're teaching this book, we're encouraging one another with this book, we're encouraging each other in the faith. Every time. That's why we're people of the book. Because every time we're in the Bible, we're growing in our faith, and new people are coming to understanding of who God is. And so when we consider an elder, we're looking for one who loves the book, who loves the gospel. They're passionate about it because they know when the book is opened, when the word goes forth, there's life that goes forth. The Spirit always works through the word of God. Now, the teaching is not limited to only preaching. Not every elder will always stand, always up here preaching the word of God. There's preaching in many different settings. In fact, if we were to divide it up between formal and informal, this would be formal. Majority of all of our teaching is informal, right? I mean, not many of us are always going to be up here. In fact, I'm only up here for a little bit of time each week. But informally, we meet each other at coffee shops. Informally, we meet each other in houses. We're talking to each other on the phone. We're emailing. We're doing all these things with each other. We teach very much informally throughout the week. And if you look at verses 11 through 12, this is what Paul says. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory Paul wasn't just I'm just going to preach the Bible and then sit down and you don't see him again but he walked with the church he he charged them he encouraged them he exhorted them he wanted them to know not only what it said but how to apply that what it looks like he came alongside them like a father would his child and isn't this really what Jesus comes to us I mean, think about it. when we come back into the New Testament, what does Jesus do? Well, for one, he uses the Bible the entire time, the Old Testament. He continually is teaching from the Word of God. He's giving the Word of God to his disciples. In fact, in John chapter 1, he is called the Word of God. 
that in him we would understand who God is and the plan of redemption. And so just as the Father, as just as Jesus comes and instructs us, and now through his Spirit gives us instruction through his word every day, so elders are to come alongside and instruct, just as fathers, mothers, everyone who is here, we are to instruct our children, to instruct those who are with us. So when we think of an elder, we're thinking of one who loves the word, who loves to teach the word, and wants to come alongside others, like a father does a child, to instruct that we would together grow in maturity in Christ. Second, we see elders lead the church. Now, um, what I don't only mean is that they cast vision and uh, give direction for the church. That's true, but if we stopped right there, we, we might stop at kind of a, a CEO-type look of a church, and that's not the way elders function. We are not a business organization in that type of sense, but rather what, what I mean is as we lead the church, we're to set a godly example for the church, the life of the elders to be a godly life, one that we're leading others into. If you look at the life of Paul throughout his letters, one thing he regularly says is, imitate me, imitate me, imitate me. Now Paul's not saying, I am so good, you should be more like me, but he says, as I imitate Christ, you should imitate me. Meaning, just as I imitate Christ, if you do what I'm doing, then you also are imitating Christ. And that is what all of us are to be able to say and strive to say, but especially those who are appointing as leaders, they're to be ones who are saying, imitate me. Look at verse 3. Paul says, I did not come with impure motives. I was not trying to deceive you. That word deceive means like a fish hook. He wasn't throwing bait out, who am I going to get, and deceive them, trick them, pull them in. Verse 4, we read, Paul was not trying to please man, but he was trying to please God. Verse 5, he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor the pretext for greed. God is our witness. Verse 6, he says, Nor did we seek glory from people. Paul was not coming to make a name for himself. He wasn't going to Thessalonica. Man, if I preach a good word, maybe they'll make me, you know, the pastor of the church. Maybe I'll become mayor of the city. Maybe I have lots of influence. Maybe I can start getting my sermons online, get my blogs online, put a book out there. All of a sudden, people will buy my book. All of a sudden, my approval rating goes higher and higher. I'll start having speech, speaking engagements everywhere I go. That's not Paul's intent. He wasn't thinking, what am I going to get out of this? How much money am I going to make? Oh man, I just can't wait to get there and have everyone look towards me. Rather, he came to show them Jesus. Look at verse 10. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Paul did not just preach with his words, but he preached with his life. Every part of his life. Paul came to teach the gospel of Jesus, but not only to teach it, but to live like Jesus. It is said, uh, I mean, elders, we're, we're going to preach many messages up here. And those are all important. Every time we open up the word of God, it is important. We want to think about the words that we are going to say. Are they true? Do they bring forth the message that is in the word? But it's said that one of the most powerful sermons that especially elders will ever teach is their lives. Because if our lives contradict the word, 
then it's kind of like the hunter putting out his trap in front of the prey. It's done in vain. It will not bear fruit. And so as we consider an elder, we look at his life. We look at how he parents. What his marriage looks like. How he's like at work. How he's like uh, with his friends. How is he here? I mean, you all know, one thing that we struggle with as Christians because of sin is, is to live a consistent life. It's easy to begin, well, I'm one way here, I'm one way here, I'm another way here, and we have all these masks. But what we're to live is, is one way before God. And what he says here in our text is, Paul was not coming to please man. Anytime pleasing man is our priority, the gospel will always be distorted. It will always be compromised. Because when man is our goal, then we want man to like us. We want his, we want his glory. We want his words of, of praise. We want what he has. We want him to recognize us. And so if that is my priority, then I will not love you the best that I can according to the word of God because I'll always be guarding, I'll always be protecting, I'll always say what will benefit me most. But when we come to the word of God and as we're transformed by it, we see that Paul says, look, my goal is not to please you. It's to please God. And because I seek to please God, then I'm able to love you fully. The same thing is in a, in a marriage, right? If the husband's primary goal is to please the wife, he will not love her well. But if his primary goal is to love Christ, then he will love the wife well every time. And what's interesting is the way Paul wants to illustrate his character here. Look at verse 7. He says, we were gentle among you. Okay, I'm tracking. That's, that's good. But now he says, I need you to understand how gentle I was. So he says, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Is that just like roll off you? Like, ah, oh, nursing mother, that's cool. He's a guy. Like, that's weird, right? Like, right? Like, you guys are really quiet. Like, that's, like, like his picture is I'm taking you and I'm holding you to my breast that I would feed you. That's how gentle I am with you. Is that a natural illustration that guys you use? Like, like, have you ever used that with your kids? Anyone? I, I don't. But this is the illustration he gets. Now, now think about it. I'm sure as we said, okay, so we're talking about elders. Paul demonstrates and exemplifies what it looks like to be an elder. Who wants to be an elder? You're going to be like a nursing mom. I mean, does that, does that like just make you want to run to eldership? I think, I think part of us, and especially today's culture, we're going, that doesn't sound like me. Um, sounds maybe a little effeminate. Is Paul a wimp? I, it's not how I want to be described. I mean, think about it. Do you want to be described as the nursing mom? But I think we need to be reminded of, of who Paul was. Prior to salvation, Paul arrested and killed and tortured Christians. Paul has muscle, a lot of muscle. He had no problem getting a whole crowd together of guys to go kill people. Where Paul went, others followed. What Paul said to do, others did. Paul was a strong guy. 
Now, we don't know how big he was, what exactly he looked like, but he carried influence. He was smart. He could out-argue anyone, and he could get a mob together to do whatever he wanted to do. So this guy's influential. He's as tough as they get. Uh, in the world's eyes, this is a man's man right here. But now because of the gospel, he's been transformed. And now no longer does he demonstrate his strength through violence, but he demonstrates it through love and gentleness. And, and think about is not this how Jesus comes to us? Think about Peter. Peter denies Jesus three times, right? Denies him three times. What does Jesus come to do? He whacks him over the head and says, well, I'm done with you. He throws him in hell, right? No, 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 right? Everyone's tracking. That's not true. That was an untrue story. Peter denies him three times. At the end of the book of John, Jesus comes to him, kind of puts his arm around him, restores him gently. That's what we see Jesus does to us. Aren't you glad that's how Jesus acts towards us? Think about it. Do you want Jesus to come to you like what the world describes as a man? Or do you want the way that we see our heavenly God comes to us in his word with gentleness and love? That he would wrap his arms around us, changing us, transforming us, so that we would then become like him. And now Paul demonstrates his great love, not by worldly measures, but by dependence upon God and by revealing Jesus. The truly strong one is the one who looks like Jesus. It's easy to attack someone. It's easy to throw a rock. It takes true strength, divine strength, to be gentle like a nursing mother. And that's what we see in Scripture, is that in the gospel we are being transformed to be like Christ, which is a strength that we are not able to obtain in our own hands. So when we consider an elder, our criteria is not, is he an athlete, although that's fine. It's not, is he good looking, although that's fine. It's not, does he have the most money, is he successful, although money is not a sin to have. But does he look like Jesus? Is he being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus? Is he one who is full of love and gentleness. And I tell you, like, this is one of my prayers. I pray it almost every day on my way home. God, help me to be gentle. Help me to be gentle with my wife. Help me to be gentle with my kids. This doesn't come natural to me. Some of you guys, it'll come more natural too. I pray this every single day. And I see God beginning to transform more and more. Number three, elders know the church. Throughout the Bible, the, leader, the leaders of God's people are often called shepherds. Moses shepherded the people uh, 40 years throughout, um, throughout the wilderness. In the prophets, we see the leaders of God's people are often called uh, shepherds. Parents, you shepherd your children. Mothers, you shepherd your children. Uh, Fathers, you shepherd your household. When we come into the New Testament, John chapter 10, Jesus says he is the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd, the ultimate shepherd. He is the one who says, I know my sheep, they know my voice, and they follow me. And then what Jesus does, because he always works through people, we see that all throughout Scripture. God is always using people to accomplish his plans. We see that then elders are appointed to the churches. 1 Peter chapter 5 we're told to, the elders are told to shepherd the flock that is among them. <clears throat> so one of, the, <clears throat> one of the primary descriptions 
of an elder, of a leader of God's people, is a shepherd. So what would be one of the primary job descriptions of a shepherd? To be with the sheep, right? Think about what a lousy shepherd you'd be if you weren't with the sheep. You have 100 sheep, you go away for a couple days, you come back, you have no sheep. It'd all be gone. Probably be dead, probably fall off a cliff, be eaten. It'd all be gone. Just as a father is to be with his family, a mother is to be with her children, so shepherds are, are with their people, are with the church. And that's what we see in our text. Paul, he comes not only to preach the word, but to set a godly example before them. And the godly example he sets before them is not one of distance. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone to uh, Paris, to the Louvre, where they have the Mona Lisa. I've been there before. I went back in high school. And you go and, and to the Mona Lisa, and you can get close to it, but you can't get too close because there is a big block of um, glass around it preventing you from getting too close. And if you try to get too close, well, there's guards there also. And there's even um, a little rope that goes around about three feet from the glass. So there's the glass, there's the rope, and there's you are. So that's as close as you get. That's not what Paul does. He doesn't come preach on Sunday, run off to his study, and say, see you next Sunday. <clears throat> but rather, he's with the church. He ate with the church. He went, he went fishing with the church, camping with them, went to the hospital when they were sick, had coffee with them. They were at his house. He was at their house. Look at verse 8. This is right after. It's like a nursing mom taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. That affectionately desirous reveals his great passion and his love for them. See, Paul loves the church. He just doesn't want to preach. That's not just a job that he does, but he loves the church. He wants to be with the church. And think about this. Jesus came and died so that we who are sinners could be saved. And when we are saved, he doesn't just leave us out there like islands, like, oh, look, there's a Christian, there's a Christian. Oh, yeah, it looks really good out there. Those are, those are nice islands, all separate from each other. But the Scripture uses words to communicate the image that we are now a part of. And he says, we're now part of the body of Christ. We've been joined into this corporateness. Another word that it uses, it says we've now become the bride of Jesus. And that's not figuratively, because in Revelation, what we see is Jesus comes like a, like a groom for his, for his bride, takes her, and in Revelation 19, there's a wedding feast that they have. They celebrate their marriage. They come together. In this age right now, Christ is preparing the bride. He's growing us in preparation to be with him. And then in Revelation 19, he comes that we'd be forever with him. And so the image is not just an image that we'd understand, okay, Jesus kind of loves us. No, we are the bride. So today, as we join, we are the bride. And collectively with other churches, we form the bride of Christ. And so think about it. If that's true, does it does it make any sense to say that I can be a Christian, but I don't need the church? I love Jesus, but I hate your wife? Would you be flattered, husbands, if someone came to you? I really like you. I can't stand your wife. You want to hang out? 
that's what happens when we come and say, you know, Jesus, I really love you, but I don't really need the church. And I want Christianity on my terms, and my terms is I'm basically still king, and I don't want to be a part of your bride. Can we really say we love Jesus and not want anything to do with his bride? Or can a believer only gather with the church when it's convenient? What I've noticed just in talking to Christians here in many, many churches is that at times, life does get crazy, right? And, And things begin coming up. But what's the priority in our life? So often I, I hear Christians saying, yes, we love the word, we love the church, but all of a sudden something else comes in, and what happens? Oh, well, I couldn't attend church that day. And I get it. Like, perfect attendance is really hard to have, right? Like, none of us can be here every single week. There are things that come up, and that's not wrong. But what happens is, what I see is, oh, something came up, I'm gone again, I'm gone again, I'm gone again. Sometimes it's two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, or maybe it's two weeks here, two weeks there, two weeks there, two weeks there, and we're always gone from the bride but what we see is that here for paul and that's for elders church is life it's the priority that we have because think about it what did jesus come to do he came to save a bride and so when we love the church we love what jesus loves And that's not something that we're coming up with. We're construing on our own. But that's what the Spirit is working in us. We've been saved to no longer be individuals, but to be saved to be a body of people where we are are sewn into each other, that we encourage each other, help each other walk in maturity in Christ. And so when we think about elders, we're not just thinking about those guys. Yeah, he's here a lot. But we're thinking about those guys who love the church who's not only here on sundays but he desires to be with the church on monday and tuesday and wednesday and i get it we're all going to have seasons there's going to be sometimes we're able to be more with the church there's going to be other times we're going to have less time with the church so i don't want to create unrealistic expectations you're with the church you know eight days a week but we we love the church because christ loves the church and that's something that jesus is doing in every single one of us if you're a believer in jesus christ He's increasing our desire for the church. And every time we're in the word, we're being refined by the word. We're loving the things that Jesus loves, and we're hating the things that he hates. So as we gather together, we're growing in our love for one another, for the word, and for Jesus. Lastly, we see elders protect the church. Now, throughout the New Testament, in almost every single letter, we see references to false teachers. We see references to the church coming under attack. And so throughout the letters, especially of Paul, he's continually writing, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. He's correcting false doctrines. We know that at times, wolves in sheep clothing come within the church. And they try to lead people astray. Or, just as as we, none of us are perfect, not elders either, so please don't construe that at all. We can fall into sin at times, right? We begin straying. And any of us can do this. One of the things sin does, it it continually wants us to forget the word of God. It wants us to think that we can live independently. So just so you know, anytime you're beginning to find a pattern in your life of not reading the word of God, of not being with the church, that's sin because it always isolates. It will always bring you away from the word of God and always bring you away from the people of God. And so what we need at that moment is people to come near us. Now it doesn't always have to be elders. It doesn't have to be elders, but we're to come near to one another. Because we're family with one another. We're we're the family of Christ. And so we go towards one another. 
helping each other, restoring one another. Sometimes the attacks come from outside. So we have to stand firm against those. We have to prevent those that are coming. That's what's happening here in Thessalonica. The city is coming against this fledgling church saying, you know, your, your founder, Paul, he, he's not real. You don't want him. Everything he said to you was false. And so Paul writes back, giving instruction here in the word of God of why they can stand firm. And if you look back, like in chapter uh, 1, Paul begins saying, this is what you look like. And he says, uh, verse 8, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report to us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What he's doing, he's writing them, your faith is real. You're already producing fruit. You see how Paul is coming alongside and correcting and encouraging them in their faith? In fact, one of the ways that elders best protect the church is by teaching the church, is by leading the church, is by knowing the church. That's not going to prevent it completely, but think about it. If there's shepherds among the sheep, continually teaching, continually with them, walking them, walking through scriptures, understanding them, knowing where struggles are, knowing how to apply the Bible to that, then we're going to continually experience this, this strength in God's word. We're going to be continually growing in our faith, and sin will not have a chance to take root. Now, sometimes it still does. What we see here is that elders are to protect the church. This is why we want to be very careful with who we bring forth, because we want men who truly love the word of God. We want men who are not going to come here to please you, but to please God. Because only when they please God will they love us well. This is why we want to be careful with who we um, place as table group leaders. We don't want just anyone as table group leaders. We want to be careful. We want to make sure that we understand the gospel, that we're prepared to shepherd and instruct. We want to be careful with anyone who ever preaches up here. Now, I know that there's some of you who are sitting here and some of you guys are going, man, this is good. I'd like to be an elder. You're attracted by this. There's others of you who are sitting there going, there's no way. There's not a chance I could be like this. I don't teach. I'm not that good of example. I'm definitely not gentle like a nursing mom. I don't have enough time to be with the church. Like, I just don't have that time. So I just want to respond to that a little bit. First, let's just, let's just bring up teaching. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus turns to the church. says, go therefore make disciples. He says to everyone, you're to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're tracking there. What's the next part, though? Teaching them all that I have taught you. So who do you say that to? The church. Who's the church? Just the elders? No. We're all to teach the word of God. Now, remember, it won't all be formal like this. Most of it will all be informal. It's most of where we live is in the informal. We're all to teach. So when we start saying, I don't teach, well, hold on there. We might just be going against Scripture at that moment because God's word has given us faith that by his spirit, 
we'd be empowered to share the gospel. We'd inc- every time someone calls you and says, what do I do? You're given a teaching opportunity right there. Do you know that? Every single time. You're either going to instruct them in godly wisdom or you will not. We're all teachers of God's word. We are all teachers or we ought to be. And so let us not have a small view of what it is to teach the word of God. So I just want to encourage you, we're all to teach. Now some of you will stand in places like this or be table group leaders or, or give testimonies. And for that, um, I, I would point you towards Bob. I told Bob I was going to speak about him today. If you know Bob, Bob loves to come up here and, and give testimonies. Um, four and a half years ago is when I met Bob because that's when I came. And he said, look, I don't teach You'll never get me up on stage. I don't do that. So this year alone, was it two or three times you've done testimonies up here? It's at least two, maybe three. I can't remember. Um, And he's leading a table group of men where he's gone through the book of Judges and he's gone through the first half book of of Romans. That's pretty awesome, right? If you talk to Bobby, say, look, I have no idea how I'm doing this, but God is working through me. That's what the gospel does, right? It transforms us into things that we didn't think we would do to now that we are doing. Secondly, uh, I would say let's make sure we do not have a small view of God. When we start thinking there's no way I can do this or can do that, we might just be underestimating the power of God's grace. Jesus came to die for us not so that he would improve us. Christianity is just not a better version of yourself. That would be terrible. He makes us new. That's the good news. He makes us new. That's why we can say we're all being made like Jesus. So we're all going to demonstrate the character of an elder or the character of Jesus Christ. He's making us new in his image. One of my favorite passages, and we should know this. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 3.18. You should know this passage. You should circle this passage. You should put asterisks by it, and you should write it down. You should memorize it later today. 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's just this beautiful passage, and what it says is, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. Every time we open up the Word, we're beholding the glory of God. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You get that? Wherever you're at right now, God's growing you. When you get to December 31st, that looks very different than January 1st earlier in that year, because by degree, by degree, by degree, by degree, by degree, by degree, we're being made more like Jesus. Isn't that good news? Like he didn't save us to leave us alone. He saved us to make us like him. When we look at children, as they grow in maturity, what do they do? They become more independent, right? They move away from our house. We love that, right? They move far away. They're not too far away because once they have kids, you know, then we want them, kind of. But as Christians, as we grow in maturity, we do not become more independent. We become more dependent upon God. That shows our maturity in Christ. Because like many of us, I'm sure, and I've done this, you probably do this at times, we look at someone like Paul and we just like, I, I can't do that. Like we set this criteria and we're like, Paul just, I mean, he knocks it out of the park every time. But, but let's look at Paul. Go back to verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God. Why is Paul so strong? Why does Paul show these great acts of faith? Is it because of how strong Paul is? 
Is it because of Paul? No, he, he has boldness in God. You see, what, what he's done is he opened up the Word of God and he's continually devoured the Word of God and by degree, by degree, by degree, by degree, by degree, he's maturing in his faith and as he beholds God, he better understands him, he sees him, he's enraptured by his glory so that he's more and more bold in God. He's trusting in the promises of God more and more He's not a different level Christian. He's not some type of two-tiered Christianity where we're here and one day hopefully we get to be like a Paul. No. We're all on equal playing field. We're all growing in our maturity in Christ. I encourage you, uh, turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is the end of the book. Look, Look at verse 14. Here in verse 14, he's giving instructions to the church. And he says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek good to do, uh, always seek to do good to, to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, we could easily put elders are too, and that description would have worked great, right? But he doesn't do that. That's to the church. So see, there are certain passages in Scripture where they clearly are directed to the leaders or to the elders, and we say, okay, this is the character of an elder. But then, all of a sudden, we're given these other passages given to the church, and they're almost the exact same. So what we see is that elders are really no different from the church. They're just simply those who are leading the church to live like Jesus. Now look at verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Listen, I know that when we go through a passage like this, at times we go, man, there's, there's just a lot. Like, I mean, we're talking about the character, and I don't know that I measure up. Can I really do this? You say the Spirit's working in us. You say it's degree by degree. But if that's true, then there's a lot of degrees I have to go. You ever think like that? Just kind of wrestle through with Scripture. You're like, I don't know if I can live like that. Two things I just want you to see from these verses. Number one, God's will is for you to be sanctified. God's will is for you to be. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He's saying his prayer, God will sanctify you. Do you know that? Meaning you'll become more like Jesus. Become devoted more to God. Meaning God is transforming you more and more into his image. That's not a wish list that he has. That is his will and that brings us to the second one okay there's a lot of things i want to do okay i want a lot of things to happen god wants me to be sanctified great but will it happen well the end of verse 24 he will do it that good news when we read descriptions like this we're not sitting there going there's no way god there's no way god but all of a sudden we're told and there's this grace that god is going to wrap around you through his spirit that has been bought for us by the blood of jesus that he will change us. 
That's the guarantee that we have. Do you know that your sanctification as a believer is guaranteed? And when you doubt that, what we do is we go back to the cross and we see God loves so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Not so that maybe he'll save a people. Not so that maybe there will be a people who trust him. But there will be a bride who comes to faith and will be sanctified and prepared for the groom. And so we are all being made into the image of Jesus Christ. And yes, we have work to do in that, but all the work that we do is empowered by the grace of God. So it's not go try hard. It's God is going to give you the grace that's going to strengthen you so that you can live this way. So as we think about elders, there's three things I I want to ask you to pray about. Number one, be in prayer as we present the elders next week. Prayerfully consider. Do these men reveal what Scripture, again, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. No elder we ever will bring up is perfect. Jesus is our only perfect elder, but are these men striving for godliness? Be in prayer that God will continually make you more like Him. Hope you see that what we're talking about is not only unique to elders, but it's really the work that God's doing in every one of us. And men, particularly you, be in prayer. Is God leading you to be an elder sometime in the future? It's okay if you say, look, I don't know right now. That's okay. We all have seasons. Certain seasons we're not going to be able to. Certain seasons we'll be able to. But I want are you, or pray and ask, God, if you desire me to be an elder, give me that desire. Help me to aspire to be an elder. Our lives testify, <clears throat> our lives testify to what we love, what we love. What do you love? What does your life point to? Let us be a church that loves the gospel. Let us be a church that is devoted to loving one another and to being transformed into the image of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you that you have given us your spirit so that becoming more like you is not a, a wishful thing, but it's a reality that you are working in us every day. You are growing us in our faith through the word that day by day by day we would see your glory in the word. And as we do that, we'll be transformed more and more into your image. And God, I pray that we as a church would trust in you, would depend upon you, and that you would make us more and more into your image. And that, Lord, we would all demonstrate the character of an elder, for in that we are demonstrating the character of Christ so that we would be a light in this world and that we would stand strong. And as people see us, whatever they say about us, whatever lies they say will not stick. But Lord, that by looking at our lives, people will see a picture of your son Jesus and a picture of your redemption plan so that we might tell them the gospel and that they might believe in you. Lord, I pray that you would work in us today. Lord, I pray that through your word today that we become more and more like you. And I pray, give us, give us a vision for your word. May we behold your glory. May we love your word. God, help us to become a church 
develops and disciples many, many elders in this church. That, God, we would together become more like you. In your name, Jesus, amen.